coming up on today's show. The Browns win again, but their playoff hopes may finally be shot. Plus, the Patriots are stumbling, and uh, the Vikings get back to running the ball just a week after firing John Filippo. Coincidence? I think not. Then, friend of the show, Pat McAfee, rejoins us to play another game of Am I Trippin' and answer the very hot question, has the league started to figure out the Rams' high-powered offense? All that and more on another excellent edition of the Tomahawk Show. Megan, I'm in Atlanta, currently wearing my Joe Thomas jersey around, and everyone's booing me and yelling at me. But you know what? Go Browns. Go Hawk yourself. It's Jeff, three-time Tomahawk voicemail leading champion. Just wanted to tell you the best sandwich is Slimans on St. Clair. Shout out to Mo and Fran, the owners, for making one of the best sandwiches. There's a reason they sell 10,000 pounds of corned beef on St. Patrick's Day. That's it. Have a great day. Go Hawk yourself. Hey, Tomahawk Show. Uh, my name is Ian. Call me. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. Please interact with the show by following us on social media at Tomahawk Show and be sure to use the hashtag Tomahawk. As always, you can call in and leave us one of your spectacular voicemails at 440-628-1376. Make sure you talk about the show and you can talk crap about all of the four of us. That is our favorite part of the Tomahawk Show. What do you think, Hawk? How was your week? Uh, week was good, man. Started out really good, ended bad. I was really upset last night when the Steelers beat the Patriots. Um, didn't account your for team. That. Yeah, my team. My team didn't pull through. My teams this week went two and one thanks to the Patriots losing. But all in all, not a bad week. How about yourself, Joe? It was eventful. I tell you, this was kind of the end of my travel because it was the final Thursday night game of the year. So I uh, closed the page or closed the book or turned the page. I guess one of those two (laughs) on uh, my Thursday night football 2018 (laughs) season, which was fun with a spectacular game. If anybody watched the Chargers and the Chiefs game, it was Unbelievable. The Chiefs led from the start until four seconds left in the game when Phillip Rivers scored a touchdown, and then Coach Anthony Lynn decided to go for two, and they got it wide open in the end zone, and they won the game, which was pretty amazing. And it was pretty cool being there on the field. I hadn't been into Arrowhead in several years since we played the Chiefs, so it was fun being back. That place is electric. Dude, you did a great job. Every time I watch you on TV – specifically the NFL Network, I'm like, ah, fuck, he's going to get a new job and cancel the Tomahawk show. (laughs) (sighs) So I know my days are numbered here, um, (laughs) but not as numbered as Zerms and Natalie's who are both on the hot seat here with us. What did I do? Uh, I don't know, Nat. I just feel like you deserve to be on the hot seat. I feel like (laughs) all this stardom is going to your head. Oh, my God. Zerm obviously has started four podcasts just while we <laughs> while we've began recording today. So yeah, I we're just always signed a deal, a deal on one right now as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anybody who's listening and thinks they can hold their own here on the Tomahawk Show, make sure you're sending us your resume and your reel uh, so we can get these jag offs off this this uh, broadcast. Zerm, how you doing this week, man? Man, I'm good. Um, I had a lot of fun live tweeting the. Uh, uh, the Browns Broncos game on Saturday, but I have to say this: my favorite thing. So obviously, Joe took over in the second half, and my favorite thing that Joe does on Twitter is he ats the person, <laughs> the players that he's talking about, even if he's just like, 
He's like, wow, that's the worst thing you could have ever done at Bashar <laughs> Perriman. It is my favorite thing that Joe does by far. That's why Joe is Thank the you. number one media person in all of sports media. <laughs> no fear. Because everybody else adds people when they're praising them. I actually sent this tweet out the, I saw yesterday. That. And it, it was, was great. People at players, because they want retweets, they'll add all the blogs. Oh, man, this offense is incredible. Oh, this, this defender did this thing great. And then when they're talking shit on people, they never add them. And it pisses me off, and I'm like, yo, that's Joe Thomas? Mm. Nah, man. You're getting yeah. added whether you play bad or good. Yeah, I'm searching Twitter. I'm scouring Twitter for whatever your name is, because sometimes <laughs> it's kind of hard to find your name on Twitter, but I'm scouring it. I don't care if it's not the first thing that pops up. I'm going to look for it and make sure whether it was good or bad. I'm just going to be honest and down the middle, and I'm going to at you. And you can guarantee <laughs> that. You may not like it right now, but in the end, it's best for you. Like in this game yesterday, I'm trying to think who I who I added. It was um, crap. I forget what his name was. I'll be right back. That was, that's what that's what makes Joe a rarity, man. It's just, yeah. The only <laughs> sucky part about it is that he does it from the show account. So I just people are going to assume <laughs> since I have a reputation of talking shit and making fun of people. They're just going to assume it was me that did it and not Joe. He doesn't tag it with at Joe at the bottom. <laughs> so I, I tagged Gerald Everett, who I have no prior relationship with whatsoever, and I have no beef with him. <laughs> I, I guess well, until after I added him. him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there was two times in the game where he could have easily just stepped out of bounds and stopped the clock and he decided to fall down in bounds when his team was down by 14 and then seven <laughs> points when they're trying to reserve clock. So I merely tweeted from my account at Joe Thomas 73 that he must not know the rule about stepping out of bounds, stopping the clock because two times he decided to fall down in bounds <laughs> yeah. instead of easily going out of bounds when he was being tackled. And that may be some tough pills to swallow for this guy but he needs to learn that people are watching and what you do affects not only yourself but everybody around him so you always have to know the situation because there's one thing that frustrates me more than anything in football and that is situationally unsound decision making by players and you hate when guys don't go out of bounds late in the game i've seen you tweet multiple guys <laughs> Dude, at multiple guys watching games it's like and you say the same thing oh you my, never played football before clearly which is kind like of thing is not down the middle at all but like, I understand other things. Like, I can understand the other thing that happens sometimes. Oh, let me guess. Holding? I can understand a well, false start by no lineman. What I, I can't understand, understand is receivers is, that won't block like Andrew Hawkins. <laughs> but we digress. No, the one thing I understand is, like, when you're trying – you see it occasionally when they're trying to reach for the goal line to score a touchdown, they fumble into the end zone. Like, that, uh, that's a bad mistake, but you can understand they're trying to make a play. They're trying to get in the end zone. But just not going out of bounds, just not knowing the situation and just not understanding where you are on the field. It's just unexcusable, my, in my opinion. Joe Thomas won't stand for it. <laughs> I'm trying to I, stamp out stupid football plays one at a time by adding everybody, every single person <laughs> in the NFL that does something stupid. The live tweeting was really cool. If you guys like the live tweeting, make sure you let us know because we might do that for other games with other teams. Why not just bring in – why not have Pat McAfee tweet from the Tomahawk Show during a Colts game? Or any game for that matter, because I feel like he's uh, pretty good on Twitter no matter what game is going on. I feel like the Browns, they did a good job for us because we were live tweeting a game that was A, really exciting, and B, then mm -hmm. the Browns won at the end. And then Britton Colquitt gave us the greatest moment 
at the end of the game where he was like kissing goodbye to all the fans, like basically Tom. Fuck Didn't you. he play in Denver forever? He did, and they he was playing really well, and they cut him. So he's got a uh, lot of hate in his heart for the Broncos and for all. You got hate fans, in your I'm heart. Sure. Let it out. He was letting it out, and I captured that on my 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 phone device, and then I nice. was able to put it on the Tomahawk account. With the old Brilliant. bye, Felicia, which is probably a little old, but I'm you're, you're, so funny. you're a damn genius. I think, it, I think it got like a thousand retweets, Joe. You did it. That was good work. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic job. Apparently, it's not old to Browns fans. <laughs> Whoever owns Felicia the Tomahawk character. Twitter account is going to thank me someday because I just earned them like a thousand followers. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Yeah. Um, all right, let's just jump into segment one since that was a perfect segue. We got the Browns beating Denver uh, subsequently, the next day, actually basically eliminating themselves from the playoffs with the, <laughs> with the Pittsburgh win. But for that one day, man, was it not hype? Awesome. <laughs> so just to be clear, there is still a less than 1% chance that the Browns make the playoffs. They have a few things that need to happen, but the most improbable ones are they need the Colts and the Titans to lose in Week 16. And then the Colts and Titans play in Week 17 and they need to tie. So wishing for a tie in week 17 is probably not going to happen, uh, but you can still wish and hope. And uh, they, as they say, hope in one hand, shit in the other, see which one fills up first. Ooh, I've never heard anyone say that. But uh, talking, but about you this, liked it. <laughs> talking about this Browns game, the defense held Phillip Lindsay to only 24 yards rushing. Joe, what was your biggest takeaways from this game from a defensive standpoint? So defensively, the Browns have not been as good this year at stopping the run as they were last year when they had a historic run defense. But my theory is they're much better in their pass defense. So teams are just running the football more because they're having a harder time throwing against this defense. So because of that, the stats are different. But anyways, they did a really good job because Philip Lindsay's having a good season right now for the Broncos. So for the Browns defense to hold them to 24 yards, that was huge. It was really one of the better defensive outings I've seen the Browns play this season. Um, Case Keenum focused on a lot of the short passes, which is what he does pretty well. He moves in the pocket really well. He took some shots downfield. And actually, overall, I came away kind of impressed with the Broncos offense, uh, the run game notwithstanding, because I was impressed with Case Keenum's decision-making, his accuracy, the way they stretch the field horizontally with a lot of the back shoulder throws, a lot of the quick stuff. And then he would still take some of these shots down the seam. So he kind of keep those safeties deep. And uh, so I, I thought overall, actually, Case Keenum kind of impressed me. And uh, that's my offensive lineman take from the passing game there, which I can tell probably Hawks probably laughing. Um, no, I, but, I don't mind it. I, am I crazy in thinking that not that they're the same kind of player, but are they from the same like family of player, Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield? No, I feel like Baker takes many more shots down the field and Case is more risk averse where Case would rather throw a lot of the underneath stuff. Yeah. Um, but they both move in the pocket very well. They're both shorter quarterbacks. I mean, I think Baker's taller, but they're both shorter. And so they do have to scramble and move to get some of those 
passing windows that they need to throw through. Um, but I think you're, you're not totally off. And, of course, they're both from Texas, so everyone always loves to compare Texas quarterbacks. That Cliff Kingsbury, listener of the Tomahawk Show. Both Cliff Kingsbury lineage. Uh, yeah, no, I thought Baker played solid. I mean, it wasn't his best game. Uh, but the thing about Baker is when you when he's in the game late, if you make sure it's a close game, he has that competitive edge to kind of raise his uh, level of play and elevate his, the people around him. And that's what's special about Baker, man. It's like that's why when you watch him, we know he has the skills. But even if you if you just went like skill for skill, like against Josh Allen, who is 6'5", rocket arm, fast, can run, can throw it like like nobody else in the league, just skill for skill, you would go with Josh Allen. But when you watch Baker Mayfield play, not that his skills are off because they're incredible, incredibly accurate, but the dude is – he just doesn't seem like a rookie. Like, you're not just watching bare-bones gifts. You're you are watching someone play the quarterback position really, really well, and I think that's what excites Browns fans most. And I, I kid you not, as I was flying into the West Coast or to the East Coast this, this week and I was in the airport – so many people wearing Browns gear and just chest stuck out, chin up, head held high. Like, they're just so proud to be rocking their Browns gear. And it's it's a really, really, really cool thing to watch, man. Football is better when the Browns are playing competitive football, and they are right now. Jabril Peppers, mm. another guy who balled out yeah. that game. What are your thoughts on Jabril, man? Well, he's he's playing better, you know. He came to Cleveland, and I think he got a lot of flack because it didn't seem like he was playing all that well, especially like in pass coverage. Mm-hmm. And the first year, the people in Cleveland gave him a lot of shit because uh, Greg Williams had him playing like 35 yards off the ball for a while, and so that was like the thing to talk about in Cleveland. But um, <laughs> he's playing good football now. He's becoming that emotional leader, that physical presence in the secondary that I think everybody had hoped he could be when they got – when they drafted him, which was awesome. But let me go back to one of the things you said about Baker that I think was awesome. So coming off of the Panthers game the week before, he was almost flawless. Mm -hmm. And then this week he had an interception. He was only completing about 50% of his balls. He only had 180 yards passing. But what he brought to that team was playmaking in the right moments and leadership to raise the level of everybody's play. The Broncos have a good defense. Let's let's not forget about that. They not they may not be statistically at the top of the league, but they're a pretty good defense. And so I thought Baker showed why he's going to be one of the great quarterbacks in this league because even on his best on his worst day or a day that maybe doesn't live up to where he was the week before or some of his expectations, mm-hmm. he's going to still play his best football and rise to the occasion when it's needed. And I thought in the second half and down the stretch, he played some really good football. So, um, and as of, as always, like you said, Jabril Peppers with the big uh, sack at the end of the game against Case Keenum, which I don't understand how you get sacked on the fourth down end of the game play. Like, you know, if there's pressure coming, you have to have a hot or some outlet where you can get rid of the football easily. And for some reason, Case Keenum just ate the football and gave up on that play. It didn't make sense to me. It just happened really fast, I feel like. I think Preppers got there so fast that he literally shit his pants and didn't know what to do. <laughs> um, great defensive calls. Speaking of defensive calls, Greg Williams, man, is is he the new head coach of the Browns, Joe? Tell it to me right now. I would say that I'm guessing John Dorsey right now is going – Shit, man, I may have to hire this guy because 
Greg Williams is doing a fantastic job. He is really giving himself a great opportunity to take the job. But just for everybody out there, when you get hired as a GM to take over an organization, you have a list of maybe five guys in your mind that you're like, yeah, first of all, I'm not keeping this head coach. I might keep him for a year, but I want to hire my own guys. This is just how football works. People that come in, they want to hire their own people. So John Dorsey, I'm sure when he took the GM job in Cleveland, had this thing in his head that, hey, I want to hire my own guy, and these are the five guys I really like. And now he's got an interim coach in Greg Williams who's done a <laughs> tremendous job, who has clearly made himself one of those candidates. And I think it's going to be the comfort level that John Dorsey has with Greg Williams. That's going to play a big factor into whether he keeps him or not, because clearly as a coach from a wins-loss perspective, from a getting his team to buy in and play, Greg Williams has done a tremendous job. Dude, I mean, but that, that's the thing about Greg Williams. You never worry about him on the football side. Like, he's always been a great defensive coach. He's always been a great defensive mind. And if he wouldn't have had the New Orleans situation, he would probably already have been a head coach. He would have picked one of the 12 offers that he got already. But it's the stuff that comes with the off-the-field issues the bounty gate those kind of things that's literally the only thing that would prevent him at this point somebody said is do do you want to make someone an interim do you want to make an interim a permanent head coach with with a short sample size of what they do or do you want a clean slate and go get somebody and my answer was this if you take the green bay situation where philbin is the head coach correct and let's say yeah. you know let's say they did win yesterday against the bears and he did do well down the stretch I don't look at that situation and think to myself he should be the head coach going forward with the Green Bay Packers. Because you have Aaron Rodgers, because you have a slightly more motivated Aaron Rodgers now that McCarthy is gone and that situation is kind of mended, if you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you're probably going to have a better chance to win football games. And it doesn't take a really, really, really good coach as long as Aaron Rodgers is playing well to win football games in Green Bay. So you still go get a new coach. In Cleveland, on the other hand, you, if someone has a sample size of winning football games uh, like Greg Williams, which is four wins in five games, I don't think you have the luxury of letting them go because it's hard to win football games in Cleveland. I don't care how small the sample size that even if you brought him back next year and he went 0-16, it would have still been the right decision to make him the head coach because he proved that he could win in Cleveland, which over the last 20 years, not very many coaches have done. I would say, though, if I'm John Dorsey, I want to make damn sure that I'm 100% confident and comfortable with uh, Greg Williams because the last thing you want to do is hire a guy because he finishes the season really well. And then next year, if he doesn't have a great season, John Dorsey's thinking, oh, I should have hired somebody else and then fire this guy because right now – with this young team, with a young franchise quarterback in Baker Mayfield, whoever you hire as the head coach, you want to be the coach for like 10 plus years. So you want to make damn sure that this guy is hitched with Baker Mayfield and these guys are going to be able to grow together in the NFL and you're not going to make Baker learn a bunch of different offenses. All these young players are going to be able to stay in this system and really become doctors in whatever football systems get put in place here. So from John Dorsey's perspective, you want to make damn sure you're very, very comfortable because this is the last coach you're ever going to hire. So then you're saying we need an offensive head coach? Not necessarily because if you look at like the Bill Belichick situation, he was hired. He put in place a really good system, 
And then all the coaches that come into that role as offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator are basically just running what he has installed or instilled. So I'm not saying it has to be an offensive coach, but who whoever gets hired, if it is Greg Williams, you want to make sure that Greg has a system that he can put in place so that everybody that comes and becomes that offensive coordinator, that defensive coordinator is basically following that system. So what, what, when the the success happens, which inevitably will happen in Cleveland, when you have Baker Mayfield as your quarterback and that offensive coordinator becomes the next sexy head coach hire, whoever comes up behind him and you, um, promote into that offensive coordinator role is going to be running the same thing that was being run with the previous offensive coordinator. Now you may have your own wrinkles because everybody's a little bit different, but you're not going to be changing the terminology, the concepts, all of the important things aren't going to change so that Baker doesn't have to learn an entirely new system. Yeah, it makes sense. Sort of. Sort of. I, I just don't, Greg Williams has done a really, really good job. So if you go defensive coach, I, unless it's something like you said, off the field or less something that it's like, the bounty gate thing is keeping him from being the next head coach. If you're going with a defensive guy, I don't see how you don't let Greg Williams get the inside track. Zern, what's your take on it before we move on here? Yeah, I'm sort of torn here because, like, at first, I really had no interest in Greg Williams as the head coach. I just thought I, – I also – for you guys as players, like, I wonder, is it super different when you have a guy for, like, five games at the end of the year and there's emotions kind of coming off your coach getting fired? And then, like, Greg Williams for a full off season, and then, like, having to go through the whole season with Greg Williams seems like a, a whole different Greg Williams experience than maybe just, like, him coming in as a coach for the last five or eight games of the season. And yeah. um, so I wonder about that. I wonder if Greg Williams is, is – it's going to be different with him when you have to go through, like, a rookie camp with him and OTAs and minicamp and all that. But I – I think it's going to be really, really difficult. Like Joe said, they keep winning football games and they're winning on the road and they're beating teams like Denver. And like if they win out, I think it's going to be extremely hard to look at Greg and say, ah, you know what, I, we appreciate the effort. We're going to see you later. But I don't know. I'm very torn. I think I still want John Dorsey to go out and find somebody, his guy, and somebody that I do think is an offensive-minded guy. But Greg Williams has made it way harder than I think it was right at the beginning when I kind of just was immediately dismissive of any chance of him being the head coach. Yeah, I mean, if he would have gone 500 or below, it's easy to say, hey, thanks for your effort, but uh, we're going to hire somebody else. But when you take a team that has been as bad as the Browns have been for the last two and a half, three years, and all of a sudden – you win most of your games. And some of these teams they're playing right now on the stretch are pretty good. Like the Panthers, yeah, they've been sliding, but they're still a 500 team. The Broncos, they're still kind of a 500 team fighting for the playoffs. And they've won both of those games, including one in mile high, which the Browns haven't beat the Broncos in like 11 games. So he's doing some really, really good and unexpected things as a head coach. And I think you have to take notice of that. My only reservation to beat this dead horse is that <laughs> the aggression of Kitchens and Greg Williams is amplified because it's late in the season. Because you know you're an interim head coach and an interim offensive coordinator, and you know that playing it safe is not going to give you the best chance to win those jobs permanently, and you're saying, yo, guns are blazing, we're taking shots, we're being aggressive, we're going for wins, and that's how you win football games in the NFL is being aggressive, especially if you have the talent that the Browns have. My only reservation is that if they are selected as the permanent fixtures there, 
that going forward, now they settle into their coaching role and they lose that ag- aggressiveness a little bit and it's not the same next year. Yeah, you, yeah, I think you start playing not to lose a little bit. When you become yeah. the full-time head coach, it's like playing with a lead in the Super Bowl. You get more conservative. Exactly. You're like, I don't want to do anything that's going to get me fired. So I know right. the one thing that won't get me fired is being conservative. Or at right. least it's going to take longer to get me fired. And where when you're the interim, you're like, F it. I got seven <laughs> games to make this shit pop. Here we go. Buckle yeah. up. All right, guys. Let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at Toyota. Toyota isn't just a car company. And the new podcast, Toyota Untold, isn't just about cars. It's about mobility. It's about overcoming challenges like me trying to ease up on the soda, helping people move physically, socially, and emotionally. It's about finding solutions like we can't seem to do for Nat's terrible hot takes. When you think Toyota, you think sustainability, triumph, facing fears, celebrating life, and rethinking what's possible. In Toyota Untold, you'll hear unique and insightful behind-the-scenes stories, such as how a son's love for his mother led to Toyota's unlikely origin as an automated loom company, why and how a Toyota Tundra was used to tow a space shuttle through the streets of LA, and how robotics, other advanced technologies, and mobility services are being researched and developed to address challenges for the elderly, disabled, and even Olympic and Paralympic athletes. Discover how Toyota is rethinking mobility in the brand new podcast, Toyota Untold. You can find Toyota Untold right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Let's get back to the show. All right, let's jump into some three and out, man. Uh, the Steelers send the Patriots packing with their second loss last night. And for the first time, I think since like 2009, the Steelers, or I mean the Patriots aren't in position for a first round bye. Are the Patriots falling apart, Joe? Is the dynasty ending right before our very eyes? So I watched this game, and I'm ready to boost Tom Brady back to MVP form. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Tom Brady's getting old, and he's lost it. And the Patriots' mm. dynasty is over. Wow. That is a hell. <laughs> so now he's sure to throw for five touchdowns and 500 yards next weekend. <laughs> but – on a serious note, he did look bad. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I watched him. He was missing guys that were open. He was throwing it low. He was throwing ducks. Overall, he just didn't look like the Tom Brady that we're used to seeing. And when that's not happening, all of a sudden, Bill Belichick doesn't look like the genius that he's always made out to be. Because, as we all know, as Tom Brady goes, that team is going to go, and that perception of all these geniuses and these masterminds and how much better they are than everybody, that kind of goes out the door as well. And and they just kind of look like an average run-of-the-mill team, a 500 team even, the way they lost to the Steelers here on Sunday. First time with back-to-back December losses since 2002. I don't know. I, I was just watching the game. Like, before the game, I thought that this, the Patriots were running run away with this. I thought that they were – a matchup problem for the Steelers. I thought that they, the Steelers, honestly, I'm like, they're going to have to get into track meet mode because the Steelers defense isn't going to be able to keep up with the Patriots offense. And it was the exact opposite, like you said. Yeah. I mean, they had the number. Um, that defensive coordinator, I think, was 0-4 against Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Got the win yesterday and, like you said, made him look like a regular quarterback, man. I, I, there is some conspiracy theorists out there, <clears throat> like me, 
who think that uh, Josh Gordon, Hayden, and Belichick all worked together to make sure the Browns didn't make the playoffs this year. But <laughs> whatever, we're ju- mm. there's, there's, those are baseless claims from I don't know who. Don't ask me. But, yeah, man, I, I would worry about the Patriots. I've said this from the beginning of the season. I would not be surprised if this was Gronkowski and Tom Brady's last season as New England Patriots and, honestly, NFL players. Well, it's so funny because Tom Brady, he's become so famous for his rituals and and the different things that he does to get himself ready and how he's basically shunned normal society in order to become this like robot super quarterback. The way he doesn't drink any alcohol, he doesn't put any sugar in his body, he he has these like uh, special gurus that massage his body with coconut oil 24-7 and he eats avocado ice cream because he wouldn't even dream of putting anything unpure into his into his body <clears throat> meanwhile and, i'm knocking down 321 grams of sugar in yeah, every day's yeah. worth of mountain dew because yeah, Hawk, you are like you are like if tom you are like every opposite of tom brady in <laughs> in diet every proves that in every capacity gen- genetics is the only thing that matters in pro <laughs> sports because hawk you still have a six-pack and an unbelievably quick and an uh, athletic sport, body yeah. And Tom Brady still looks like my dad, who's in his 60s. So uh, (laughs) everything really comes down to DNA. But um, Tom has made such a big deal, especially with this, like, Tom versus Time Facebook video that he did in the offseason about how, like, he has these methods that uh, are going to allow him to um, avoid aging whatsoever. How, like, he's going to play till he's 50 because these – hits don't hurt and his arm only gets stronger because of this TB12 <laughs> method, which there is no doubt in my mind, the way he has committed to the game of football, the way he has, um, you know, basically socially and familiarly, familiarly. Yeah. Familiarly. That one. He has basically said like football is so important to me that, I'm just going to do nothing besides football. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm never going to choose anything over football when the decision reaches that crossroad, whether it's time with my family, whether it's time to do marketing or commercials or endorsements, uh, whether that be friends, all that gets cut out because I'm all football all the time. And that's made him the greatest maybe quarterback of all time, certainly the most successful quarterback. Mm-hmm. of all time and it's allowed him to delay the aging process uh but as we know father time is undefeated and undefeated. the arm is starting to look a little bit old especially that is concerning for patriots fans this is happening late in the season typically with tom he starts out a little bit slow but then he comes on really strong towards the end of the season and so because this little slump is happening at the end of the season it's leading me and a lot of other people to believe that maybe that older arm is starting to feel the effects of age and he doesn't have that strength that uh whip in the arm that he used to have when he was a little bit younger so i don't know uh what do you guys think about tom versus time is time finally catching up to tom of course it's catching up and that's not like a bad thing it's like oh man tom can you believe time beat you like yeah it literally <laughs> yeah. the beginning of it time. took him like 25 <laughs> years in the nfl but it wins every single time. It's not a bad thing to get old. You change your game a little bit. He's still better than 90% of the quarterbacks in the NFL. But, yeah, he's just he's just not looking the same as he once was, and that's okay. And I also don't fault him for monetizing his greatness, right? So the TB12 method, the 
Mamba Academy. This is what greats are doing. This is what makes them smart. They're like, hey, I was really, really good. You can be really, really good random kid out in Iowa. <laughs> All you have to do is download this app, buy this book, get this DVD, mm-hmm. watch this movie, subscribe to this website. <laughs> After you pay me $7,000, you mm-hmm. too can be Tom Brady and have a, a supermodel hot wife. It's mm-hmm. not that hard. Let me teach you. <laughs> yes, you hard. monetize your greatness. They're brilliant, and this is all he's doing. I don't think he really even intended to play as long as he says. He understands he needs that for the marketing or for the transition for when he's done to be pushing his TB12 method, for mm-hmm. Kobe to be pushing his Mamba Academy. Yes, mm-hmm. I could teach you how to be Kobe Bryant. It's simple. Just watch <laughs> this short DVD for the <laughs> low price of $17.99 a day, and you too <laughs> can have a clutch jumper in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter like I did. Mm-hmm. We need to come out with some type of uh, tomahawk <laughs> method. Like, hey, you two yeah. can be washed up football <laughs> players and shitty podcasters. If you just listen to this DVD for nineteen ninety nine, we, <laughs> we do that for already. The holidays. Joe. What do you think this yeah, show is? That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. But you know what, Tom? He's he's always been sort of a middle of the pack paid quarterback, even though he's always been one of the best, because he's always taken these really low, below market deals from the mm-hmm. Patriots to keep them. Uh, under the salary cap so they can supposedly spend money on other players, which they never do because they're cheap. Uh, but so he's just trying to recoup some of that lost earnings, right? That's why he's coming out with the Tom Brady method. And let's be honest, there's no doubt that those sacrifices that he's made have really helped him extend his career and helped part of the success. But a lot of the success is just Tom Brady's brain and his arm and the God-given ability and the work ethic and some of the, the voodoo stuff on the outside, eh, it, it helps a little bit. And there's a placebo effect to it, but it's not the reason he's successful. That's it, man. I, I have an analogy that's really <clears> bad, <throat> and it never holds over. And every time I say it, people are like, what the hell are you talking about? So I'm going to give it to you now. It's <laughs> hard work is like bullets, right? We can all ha- Let's say we all have bullets. I can't wait for this. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. It gets hard worse. work is like bullets? <laughs> hard work is like bullets. We all, we all can have bullets. But talent... That's the gun, and not everyone has the gun, man. If you don't have both of them, Tom Brady, you can teach everyone to work hard. We can all have bullets, but if you don't have the talent, if you're not born with the strap, then you're just throwing bullets, and that doesn't do very much. So, If you're Tom, we need a T-shirt, Tomahawk Show branded, that says if you're not born with the strap on the front and on the back, then you're just throwing bullets. I would wear that every day of my life. we got to talk to GV Art. I'm sure they'll make something like that. It'll go along really well with their motivational shirt line. Oh, man. We're going to be all like, right. why haven't we been making the money that Tom Brady and Kobe have been making on all their programs? No one's buying our bullets shirt. I don't, I don't understand what's going on. No one's buying our Born With The Strap shirt. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is best enjoyed at home. You know, the home that has no rooms because it's a stadium of 70,000 screaming fans. But wherever you are, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See FuelRewards.com slash FuelYourFandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. I think it's a good... Time to get the second down, right? Time Joe? for second down, and I'm I'm right. uh, going with an audible. I'm calling a hot route here for a second down. All right, Sebastian Janikowski's kicking for the Seahawks, and he's been a longtime NFL Pro Bowler. He he kicks the ball off, and he's really old, so he certainly doesn't want to tangle it up with anybody young and athletic because he's always been a bigger, 
more of like a vodka drinking kicker than anything. <laughs> he's kind of like the Andrew Hawkins of kickers. He's not yeah. exactly in great shape, and he certainly right. doesn't want to get himself injured on a play where he has almost no chance of tackling the returner anyway. So And he comes uh, to work drunk. Yeah, <clears throat> And he comes to work drunk. So he's got an angle on the returner, and he's kind of running towards the returner. And all he has to do is kind of get in the way, maybe fall at the returner's feet, and he'll at least – slow him up enough where maybe the cavalry can come or he might be able to make a tackle. He's a big guy still. And he just basically jogs past him as if he's finishing a 40 yard jog uh, at the end of a practice, you know, where you kind of jog and then you slow down and you just kind of stumble through the line. So he doesn't give any effort whatsoever to tackle the returner. Are we okay with Sebastian Janikowski making a business decision and not giving any effort to tackle the returner? You know what? If, if our, if our guy Pat McAfee comes on, this is a perfect segment question for him because that was not good for the brand. You can't tell me that kickers and punters should be qualified as football players. And if you can save a touchdown, that is the effort you put forward. Like the the returner was even surprised that he didn't even try to trip him. He didn't even he didn't even throw an arm out of the way. It was literally like, let me just get out of the way because the other 10 guys didn't do their job, so I'm not going to get hurt trying to do mine. It was disgusting, to be honest. Wow. Well, hey, speaking of, actually, I think I hear the phone ringing right now. Hello, McFly. Hello. Oh, there he is. How are you, Joe? Thanks for the text reminder there. I I sent um, a DM there saying DM me in the morning. That's on me. I should have just put it into the old calendar. That's on me. Hey, no problem whatsoever. We're just happy to have you on because we were shaming the brand. And I think we need you to defend it because yeah. we saw what happened with old Seabass out there in Seattle. Do we think it's defensible that he protected his career and his body over making any attempt at all to tackle the kick returner? Yeah, I think what we have to remember is that Seabass is like 50 years old. Okay. 50 years old. I think okay. he's actually 40. He was born in Poland. He grew up playing soccer. Okay, Everywhere he went, Florida State, over there in Poland, he had the strongest leg on earth. They called him the Polish cannon, obviously, for a long time. What he showcased <laughs> yesterday in San Francisco was too much speed for the NFL. If the returner would have sped up, if the returner would have been able to match his speed, he would have ran right into him. He tried to cut him back into his teammates, which could potentially make a play. He just arrived too fast, too furious, too Janikowski. Well, for those just joining us, man, you're listening to the Tomahawk Show. This is Pat McAfee, the king of all kicking brand, the king of all sports media, the best kicker in NFL history. Um, and... Uh. What he's saying right now is that Janikowski is too athletic to have made that tackle or, or even attempt to make that tackle. He was running so fast that he literally could not stop, which is the exact opposite of what Joe was saying prior to Mr. McAfee joining the call. Um, I don't think it looks good for the brand, man. I don't. Joe was saying right before you got on that it's for these kickers who want to be qualified as football players which they are they i mean if, if there's anybody who understands that it's you pat there there's nothing he could have done there to try to make that tackle or at least slow the guy up what are your i, don't, I, I, don't, I think i think last week Stephen hauschka got blocked by henry anderson 
uh, the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, New York Jets situation. Yep. Because Steven Hauschka was running over to put himself in a position to make a tackle. <clears throat> I said that Henry Anderson was showing him respect by blocking him. He thought there was a chance that Steven Hauschka could ruin a long return on the block field goal. So he was actually showing him respect by blocking him. Now, granted, uh-huh. Mrs. Hauschka came after me on Twitter told me that I am everything that's wrong with football, okay? Oh, that wow. is the re- that's a that's, true story. That's a real thing. That's a, true, <laughs> that's a real story, yeah. So, <laughs> Sebastian Janikowski, I think he had too much respect for the returner. He thought he was running faster than he actually was. He wanted to meet him on the sideline. The guy just so happened to be running a little bit too slow for Janikowski. So, the guy, <laughs> obviously, Janikowski misses him. The guy keeps him moving. It, it's it's an ultimate sign of respect from Janikowski saying, hey, I thought you were faster. And then also, it could have been a business decision. I mean, let's not get crazy. It could have been a business decision there from the Janikowski. Uh, but it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great for us. Back-to-back week situations like that happening for the Braves. It does not look great. But let me let me give the uh, the listeners some context here. We used to have a McAfee reel, right? So when I played with the Bengals, our special teams coach, uh, Coach Darren Simmons, he would have a reel every time we played the Colts. Because, Joe, I don't know if you know this because you're a lineman. And you haven't – you not only are you a lineman, you've made $700 million. And you've never played a special team in your life. Woo! But <laughs> on all our kickoffs, returns, putt returns, he would have a reel of Pat McAfee. Because if you don't know, Pat would try to take your fucking head off if he got the opportunity to. And, Joe, I know you're – over there looking crazy like Hawk is just blowing smoke. I swear to God, this is not any joke, any exaggeration. Pat, back me up on this. You took pride in trying to big hit returners. I, I appreciate you mentioning all those things you just mentioned. I took a lot of pride in that for a couple different reasons. I enjoyed being respected amongst the locker room. And if you're going to be a kicker or punter who gets embarrassed in the film room from turning down a hit or something like Mm -hmm. that, that's not a good way to make money in cornhole dice or anything like that in the locker room. Also, I am six foot one, like 240 pounds. So I was normally much (laughs) larger than the returner. I felt pretty good about it. But I always said, anytime another team sent a blocker to block me, I honestly viewed it as a, a sign of respect. I thought it was a huge deal. Uh, the Bengals, the Niners, I've heard this story a couple of times from a couple of different locker rooms about them showing footage of me. I wish they didn't because then I could get a couple more clean shots on people. But I always, I always felt like it was my job for my team and for the brand uh, to make a big play if the guy skirts through. Because when you're a kicker or punter and you're on the field and there's a potential tackle, the only reason why I was put on the field was to – create a field position advantage so if i'm punting it's my job to pin them back for the defense if i'm kicking off it's our job to keep them deep for the defense and if i'm making a tackle that means i have completely failed at what i was sent out there to do so normally i was so pissed off about that i figured it's time to go make a play but anytime somebody blocked me i very much saw it as a sign of respect do you have a favorite moment when you were one-on-one with a returner and you were just able to take his head off anything that just sticks out in your head I mean, I what I did to Trendon Holiday on Sunday Night Football will live on forever. I mean, oh, I that, wow. yeah, that that what I did there will live on forever. I have a least favorite moment: me and Antonio Brown, one on one, fifty three and a third wide, basically right in the middle of the field, nobody else, <laughs> and he just shook the shit out of me, Joe. Just shook <laughs> the absolute 
shit out of me. That's probably my least favorite. But I played in the NFL early, uh, obviously, before cell phones were a thing. And when I was in college and social media wasn't a thing, I had twenty two, Joe. I had some uh I had some college tackles that I think if the social media era was around, they would have went bigger than the Trin and Holiday one. But I I took a lot of pride in that. I honestly did because I wanted to be respected amongst the locker room because I thought that was a very important thing to be a football team. McAfee, do you have a highlight tape of like hits? I people have made them on the internet. I have not yet though, because I think they've left off a couple from the ones that I've watched. Do me a favor. Get me the tackles, the games. I'm going to go myself. We're going to do a Tomahawk McAfee big hit highlight tape and put it on our social. It's going to be hey, epic. I'm going to unfollow hey, when you guys. When, when, hey, Joe. Joe, you just sit there and enjoy it, Joe. You hear me? <laughs> you the, suck it uh, in. Uh, whenever Mrs. Hauschka was coming after me last week, a lot of her friends, I think, started tweeting me as well. And a lot of them started like saying, what if this was to happen to you? And they were calling me. So I started looking up my – I had 24 tackles in the NFL. I feel pretty good about that. Seven That's of a, them in one season. Oh, wow. That's solid. Yeah, Joe, how many <laughs> you had? What was, your, what was your career tackles? You know, early on in my career, I was really into getting the tackle on interceptions. And I, I, I had like at least three or four a season. Plus, we threw a lot of interceptions. But then later in my career, I was really fucking slow, and I had a hard time keeping up with those guys, and I would get embarrassed often. I don't think I had a tackle in my last, like, three or four years in the NFL. I just couldn't keep up with those guys. They were just way too fast. Joe Thomas, career tackles, 10. 10 career tackles, 8 solo, 2 assisted. That, that a boy, Joe? <laughs> hey, you, let me tell you, you didn't want to see me in that window, in that little box uh, if you had any space, it was over for me. But if you were running right down the sideline and I had the angle and you couldn't go anywhere, it, w- it was lights out, let me tell you. Uh, more I, uh, tackles than me? No, actually. I had 18 career tackles. So there you go. Well, See, my big thing was the year we were 2-14, and 14, I led our special teams in tackles. That is not good. Oh, my God. That, oh, means, that is very frightening. That means – that means we could have we could have given up seven more touchdowns. I had seven tackles that year. We could have given up at least seven more touchdowns. It could have been worse somehow. Could have That's, been worse. That was a terrible year for you guys. Well, we're going our three and out segment right now. So let's go into our our, la- our third down here. John D. Filippo fired as the Vikings offensive coordinator last week. Vikings come out this week. They run the ball. So not surprisingly, just the way that Zimmer wanted to. They put up forty one points. Joe. Does this feed into everything we were saying about the the Vikings and Filippo situation last week? Yep. I'm pretty sure that uh, John Filippo still had Dalvin Cook on the roster last week, but uh, <laughs> it, it took Kevin Stefanski becoming the offensive coordinator before they realized that if you hand the ball to that kid, he might do some good things and you might be able to throw for a few more yards and you're probably going to score some points. Dalvin Cook goes for how many yards? 163? No, he didn't have that many. I think he had like 140 or something like that. No tackles, though. (laughs) Good point. That's all that matters. You got any take on the Vikings, McAfee? Yeah, I think it's – and I might ask you guys, like the actual real football players in this conversation, I think any break of the norm is a nice, refreshing feeling for the team. If that makes sense. So, yeah. like, the the norm was D. Filippo or whatever, being the offense coordinator. He leaves. 
okay, so now the norm is kind of broken. It's a nice refresher for the brain. It's a new day-to-day. -day. It's a new look at things. Maybe it's a new walkthrough style. I think that type of thing can kind of energize a team, just like you saw with Nick Foles. Obviously, he's back again. It's a nice refresher for the team, kind of a reset. I think those types of minor changes can really do well because of the mental state of a team, especially this late into a season. Yeah, I agree. That's why a lot of times you see when the interim coach takes over, the team goes on like a two, maybe a three-game win streak because it is new, and I think it does energize people. And it also, I think they feel like they're being held accountable a little bit differently because when you have that coach that you know is about to get fired, everyone's like, ah, the coach is going to get fired. And so everyone kind of relaxes a little bit. But once the coach gets fired and the new guy comes in, there's that new energy. Everyone kind of sits up a little straighter in their chair and, you know, starts paying a little bit more attention because they know that the details are uh, not being lost anymore. And this new guy, he, he probably means business for a little while. So there can be a little bit of that. And I think that's what we saw in Minnesota. All right, guys. Well, we're excited to have Pat as part of our award-winning segment, our Emmy-nominated, MTV Movie Awards-nominated segment, Am Whoa. I Trippin'? Am I Trippin'? Am I Trippin'? Am I Trippin'? Am I Trippin', dog? Am I Trippin'? I gotta be Trippin'. You Trippin'. All right, here we go. Let's, let's hit up the first one. <laughs> Well, before we hit it up, we need to get the reaction to the intro. Could you hear it? I couldn't even hear it. Clearly, he could hear it because he can't stop laughing. Uh, well, I think that's why, because I, I could barely hear it. There was a little bit delayed, but when it came in, it was a heater. I enjoyed hearing that. Heater. All right, first, am I tripping? Is am I tripping, or have defenses started to figure out some things about the Rams, and they're kind of shutting them down? I think. As the year goes on, this kind of happens all the time. When Chip was with the Eagles, Chip Kelly was with the Eagles, this new offense comes in, and then the NFL figures it out. RG3 won defensive offensive or uh, NFL offensive rookie of the year because his offense came in, and then people changed, figured it out. Wildcat came into the league, then the NFL figured it out. I feel like the NFL has so many brains in it that at some point somebody's going to figure out every type of offensive scheme, even if it's McVay, kid genius's brain running with that. What I think <laughs> is happening, I'm not sure if they figured it out. I don't know the X's and O's enough of that, but I do know that that LA Rams team has a lot of huge personalities, huge, huge personalities, which are great for a lot of things. It's great for the locker room if you're winning. It's great to keep things moving. They know how to handle winning and stuff like that. But anytime a little bit of a speed bump pops up, there's a chance that the locker room could start blaming each other for what's happening. I think with huge personalities comes huge risk on the other side, and I'm not sure if the L.A. Rams are feeling themselves as much as the L.A. Rams were about five weeks ago. Is it because the defenses have figured them out? I have no idea. I don't know the X's and O's. I do know that the NFL has a tendency of figuring out new and improved shit. But uh, I think they are definitely not the same team mentally that they were just about a month ago. Well, I don't think you're correct on that take, but thank you for, for that so much. I think it's two things. First of all, the Eagles are better than people are giving them credit for. They're still the Super Bowl champion, defending champions, and they've got a good defense. They've got Nick Foles back there. And as everybody remembers, when Nick Foles came in at this point in the season last year, he led them to the Super Bowl. So I think people aren't giving the Eagles enough credit. And then two, 
as the weather's gotten a little bit nicer, Sean McVay, you know, he's a really good looking guy. He's been spending a lot more time in those beach communities out in LA yeah, and a little bit it. less time preparing for these games. And so he's kind of mailed it in. After they won the division, there was really no reason to go to the office anymore. So he's been just chilling and he'll be back in the playoffs and they'll be the same great LA Rams that we saw that captured the division earlier on in the season. Here's the problem when you hire a 32-year-old coach. They spend too much time at Venice Beach. They're in the clubs. He's still at rapper age, man. So I agree completely with that take, Joe. But, yeah, they, they also – the teams that they've struggled against were the Bears and the Eagles. And just like you said, coming into the season, the Eagles were probably the most talented defense. And now they're at full strength with Bennett back. And, you know, they've kind of healed up some of the injuries. And the Bears are the best defense in the league. So I, not to say that they haven't stalled a bit or people haven't figured them out, but it's just hard to make that determination based on those two defenses because they're really, really, really good defenses. And I don't know what the hell has gotten into the Eagles and why they feel like they want to play hard all of a sudden, but I didn't like it one bit because it ruined my picks for the week, which is a good segue into our next Am I Tripping question. Foles leads the Eagles to a win against the Rams in L.A. They scored 30 points for only the second time this season. Am I Tripping? Or is Nick Foles actually a better fit for the Eagles than Carson Wentz? I think they made a mistake by automatically assuming that Carson Wentz was their starter and putting that in Nick Foles' ear coming into the season. Nick Foles did not look great at the beginning of this season, but I think it's because they told him that he wasn't worth a damn, and as soon as Carson is healthy and 100% to go, he's the starter. So instead of riding the hot hand, which is what Nick Foles was, having an entire offseason of telling him, like, hey, you're going to be the starter, you're going to keep it going, I think that might have got him a little bit mentally. But now he sees his time to come back. It's just like Jesus coming out of the cave. He looks like he could save the Eagles again, just like in years <laughs> past. And if you do remember, he was going to retire. Then he went out into the woods, went hiking, probably did some MI tripping segments came back out and now he decided to come back and be a Super Bowl champ I mean it's I think a lot of things can happen mentally and whenever you tell somebody that they're not your starter they're just in there biding time basically until the guy that you replaced last year comes back I think that got them a little bit that's why he sucked early but it's great to see Nick Foles being back on top of the world I, I hope he rides this train all the way back I don't think Nick Foles is better than Carson Wentz I do think, like like Pat talked about, that the, the situation was kind of stacked against him. When he came in early in the season, he didn't have Alshon Jeffrey. There was no Golden Tate. Golden Tate probably one of the best receivers in the NFL in yards after catch, and he's just a competitor. So, yes, that's going to make you look better. On top of that, I feel like Nick Foles is a uh, underdog mentality type player. We've all seen him. The guys that do a lot better when no one expects anything of them, when you put the expectations on them, they kind of shit the bed a little bit because they're not oh. used to people praising them. They're not used to being the guy. They're not used to those expectations that, yeah, you think you're good. We think you're good, too. He likes when nobody expects anything from him, like yesterday, like last year, like most of the situations where he's done good in his career. It's been when people are like, oh, shit, Nick Foles is starting. So Carson Wentz probably over time for me, still the better fit. I think the stars are just kind of aligned for Mr. Foles. So my take is, you know, on a text message when you can like highlight it and just press like the two exclamation points instead of actually responding because you totally agree with everything you just heard. That's what <laughs> I'm going to do right here because I listened to Mr. McAfee and Mr. Hawkins and their takes were exceptional. So what we're going to do is we're going to move on to the final <laughs> MI tripping question of the day. 
and then we'll let Mr. McAfee get back to his important task of uh, dressing like an old geezer and kicking field goals. By the way, real quick about that video, because I don't think we've had you on since you went out there in that Colts game. What happened? Did you not practice leading up to that day because you missed a ton of those field goals? And you could tell the people that were in on it were a little bit disappointed when they saw you missing those field goals. Uh, great question. We raised 70000 for cancer research. Don't even mention that in your condescending <laughs> question. Appreciate that, Joe. Um, we did not practice, actually. That is a great question. And I was worried very much after the first miss. Um, and then you started you started shanking him right and left like you overcorrected you did the classic kicker mistake you have you have no idea the mental battle that was happening inside of that mask so i we didn't get the mask until the morning of and by we i mean the colts so well i guess guess it was like the night before but i wasn't there so i didn't put the mask on for the first time until like 10 minutes before we go out to kick in the mask was this hollywood created mask it was a very very well done. It was a thick thing that was kind of latched to my head and kind of moved with my face. It was an <laughs> awesome thing the Colts did. Awesome idea. But what we didn't what we, we didn't account for, you see, we never thought about was when I looked down, like with my chin to kick, the mask moved up. So <laughs> I was basically blindfolded out there, like half blindfolded for most of the kicks. And I noticed it on the very first one. And I didn't know if we were going to hit any of the other kicks, to be honest. I thought it was going to be a very scary, bad situation. (laughs) The thought of ripping the mask off did come through my mind, though, at one point. (laughs) But anyways, in the end, I prevailed. I made them. Very lucky. We raised a lot of money. But, yes, you're 100% right. Insiders (laughs) knew that I was struggling like crazy out there. Insiders. All the had to be a terrible battle in your brain. Well, here, final am I tripping question. Am I tripping or are the Colts the best team in football right now after they've shut out the high-flying Cowboys 23-0 to on Sunday? Well, not only the Cowboys, the Texans, they beat the Texans pretty good as well, and Texans were a very hot team. Granted, they got shut out by Jacksonville in Jacksonville and lost to Cody Kessler and Josh Lambeau. Hey. But, those guys are hey. great players, though. Former Brown. Yeah, well, you're probably old teammates of them. you got to say that. Uh, Former Brown. Yeah, he was our quarterback. <laughs> okay, that's on me. I'm sorry I took that shot there. He's probably going to listen to this. Uh, I think the Colts are a very, very, very hot team right now. It all changed whenever they went for it in overtime and ended up losing to the Houston Texans. It felt as if the culture that Chris Ballard was trying to build, this young culture that's in it with each other and we're all in this thing together, and then you got the old head Vinatieri and Lux back being healthy. Frank Reich's offense has kind of started hitting stride with uh, with Andrew and also Eberflus, uh, the D coordinator's d- defense, has the defensive rookie player of the year for sure on it and Darius Leonard. I think they're a very hot team right now, and this is a good time to be hot. I don't know if they're going to be able to backdoor their ways, uh, their way into the playoffs or not, but if they do, they are not a team that anybody wants to fuck with right now because they're hot in all three phases. After that answer, I am certain that you are still on the Colts' payroll. So thank you for that take. I appreciate that. Am I the Anyways, only one not getting paid by a franchise on this show? I got yeah, Joe much. making millions at the Browns. McAfee clearly is making more money now than he did as a player from the Colts organization. Golly, That's dude. why he retired. So he could take not a lucrative from the front office role. 
You too, hey. man. Browns versus Colts in the AFC Championship. I'm sitting here like, wait a minute. Is this objective <laughs> analysis? Hold on. I like the Browns a lot in the next two years, man. I think they win the AFC North within the next two years. I like that take. Well, <laughs> you had it's me a at good North. Take because all the other quarterbacks in the AFC North are either crappy or old or both. And Baker Mayfield <laughs> looks like he's going to be the best young quarterback in the league with a lot of good talent around him. So uh, there's my take. Hopefully the checks keep coming from Cleveland. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, how about Baker? Hey, Baker Lamar. I don't know how long Lamar Jackson is going to remain healthy with how he plays, but Baker Lamar could be a really cool rivalry for the next decade or so. It could. They have to figure out in, in Baltimore what kind of football they plan on playing with Lamar Jackson because what they're doing now probably isn't going to work over time if they want to be successful. Super great athlete, not super confident in his arm yet, so we can't really see what he's capable of doing. But you can't argue that he's just more athletic than most guys on the field do. But you're right. That could be very, very special over in the AFC North battles. If they figure it out, maybe they'll send him to, like, uh, Trent Dilfer's quarterback school. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that works. Trent well, Dilfer. we were just talking about, before you got on, how all the great players, like the TB12 method, the Mamba Academy, the great players, if you play just seven ninety nine a day, you can learn to be them. So maybe they'll sign him up <laughs> for one of those programs that he can play in the NBA and play quarterback in the NFL. I don't know if I can eat the avocado ice cream of the TV 12, <laughs> but I can definitely get on in on some Mamba mentality. Cause... <laughs> All right. I think that does it, man. Pat, we appreciate you. Like always friends of the show, our favorite guest of all times, uh, media mogul. What are you doing right now? What, what is the next move? Tell me. I'm just a small business owner over here in Indianapolis. That's all I am. Got a couple all of right. podcasts tweet a little bit do some live shows here and there and just keep it moving brother just trying to right. make the world laugh a little bit on the internet i love it let's try to put some money in your pocket let's let we'll connect we'll connect out in these streets outside the uh this here podcast all right we appreciate it like always pat man enjoy the rest of your day and uh yeah joe hawk yourself man hey thank you guys take care joe hawk yourself that's joe it. Hawk yourself for the brand just do it for, for the, the brand. brand do it for the brand we'll send you a t-shirt Did you say joe hawk yourself <laughs> Welcome. Clearly, he's a, a avid listener. <laughs> you must listen to every episode. That's an incredible tagline. Hey, <laughs> I like that a lot. Hold on, I think I'm gonna start telling people to do that. You should. I'm not perfect. Tweet it out. Make It'd sure be perfect. You pay us five dollars every time you say that. <laughs> God damn, I can't afford that. I'm Trademark. just a small business, Joe. Give me some of that Cleveland Brown money you got in your pockets, and I'll do it. <laughs> All right, uh, somebody uh, cut this you. guy off. We we can't have him on anymore. <laughs> All right, man. Well, uh, that was our guy, Pat. Always a pleasure when he comes on the show. I think that does it for today's episode, man. Uh, make sure you're hitting us up on social, at Tomahawk Show. Use the hashtag Tomahawk. Make sure you're subscribing and rating us five stars, man. Five stars are super important. It's how we get paid. It's how we feed our children. So make sure you do that. Joe, any final thoughts? Yeah, wild weekend. Defense is back in the NFL. I heard Booger McFarland say it last Monday. So when uh, the game tonight goes for like 110 points, we'll see if Booger says it again. <laughs> All right. That does it. Nat, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself. <laughs> <laughs>